Today we begin our series on the book of Exodus, a book that tells the story of the deliverance of God's people from Exodus. Exodus opens with the names of Joseph's brothers who joined him in Egypt during a time of famine. It then adds a brief but significant note about the deaths of Joseph, his brothers, and their families. The descendants of Jacob continued to increase, however, in number very rapidly. They were no longer a single family, but the beginning of a nation. And so the narrator tells us the land was filled with the descendants of Jacob. The increase of Jacob's descendants was a mark of the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham and then to Isaac and Jacob that God would bless Abraham and his seed and make them a great nation. Another of the promises given to the patriarchs was the blessing of land. And as the narrator of Exodus 1 makes clear, one of the problems faced by the growing nation of Israel was that God's people were now in Egypt, outside the land of promise. What made things even worse, though, was that there was a new pharaoh who did not remember Joseph and all he had done for Egypt. He not only viewed the presence of non-Egyptians as a political threat, but he was particularly threatened by the growing numbers of Israelites. And so instead of expelling the Israelites from Egypt, he essentially enslaved them, forcing them to build cities that would store his wealth. When Pharaoh's initial plan to stop population growth through oppression did not work, he invoked harsher methods. The Egyptian Pharaoh, whose name we do not know, ordered two named midwives to kill male Hebrew babies as soon as they were born. But even this plan didn't failed. This plan failed because Shipra and Pua feared God and let the babies live. When confronted by Pharaoh, these courageous women lied, claiming the Hebrew women were more vigorous than Egyptian women as they gave birth before the midwives arrived. For their courage in standing up to Pharaoh and for their ingenuity in coming up with a plan to save the lives of Hebrew babies, God bless them. Well, Pharaoh came up with another genocidal plan, and this time he ordered that male babies, Hebrew babies, were thrown into the Nile. It is at this point of the story that the narrator's focus narrows and draws us into the lives of one of the families impacted by Pharaoh's genocidal edict. To parents from the house of Levi, a beautiful son was born. Later in the story, we find out the names of the parents. The name of Moses' father, Amram, likely means exalted people. Jochebed, his mother, her name means, suggests she was a woman of faith. It means Yahweh is glorious, or some people say Yahweh is her glory, or thy glory. Jochebed is one of a handful of women who played a critical role in this important episode in the story of God's deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt. Her name has fascinated interpreters through history because she's the first person in scripture to have a name that includes the shortened form of the name Yahweh. 
the name later revealed to her son Moses at the burning bush. Scottish commentator Alexander White speaks for many when he says, it is very tantalizing to be told her remarkable name and to be told no more. Was Yahweh his glory the remarkable name that Moses gave his mother as he often looked back at all he owed to her and as often as he rode, it rose up and called her blessed? Or was her very remarkable name her own invention? Was her striking name her own seal that she had set on her vow she made to her God? Or did the angel of the Lord visit that daughter of the house of Levi on some Jabbok-like or Annunciation night, and so the name and so her and and so name her as the sun rose upon her prayer? These tantalizing suggestions, at least at the very least, should draw our attention to the role Moses' mother plays in this story. When baby Moses reached the age when most babies become more active, sleep less, and are more vocal, his mother hid him in an ark-like wicker basket sealed with pitch in the reeds of the bank by the bank of the Nile. Although her motives and plan are not fleshed out in scripture, Moses' mother undoubtedly hoped that her beautiful child would be rescued by some sympathetic Egyptian. She may even have hoped that he might be rescued by the Egyptian princess, who would have had the resources to give her child everything she could not give him. It was likely Jochebed who instructed her daughter Miriam to watch over the baby from afar. And it was likely her idea that Miriam offer to the rescuer a wet nurse for the child. Although I think Moses' mother was likely the one who, to come up with a plan, and it was an elaborate plan to save her child, some interpreters think that Miriam did much more than follow her mother's instructions. Phyllis Tribble, for example, notes that Miriam took initiative to shape the destiny of the child. She spoke to Pharaoh's daughter and shapes the future by defining the need of Pharaoh's daughter. Her words, says Tribble, propose a perfect arrangement for Pharaoh's daughter and the baby's mother, thereby bringing the twain together. Whether the brilliant plan to have Moses' mother nurse her own child was Moses' mother's or his sister's is not as important as the acknowledgement that the plan worked. And baby Moses was rescued by the daughter of the Pharaoh who had mandated death for baby boys. And then in one final highly erotic ter ironic turn, Moses' very own mother was paid to nurse her own son until he was old enough to be brought back to Pharaoh's daughter who would become his adoptive mother. Well, what are we to make of this detailed story of the birth and rescue of the one called to be Israel's deliverer that begins the larger drama of the Exodus. Five women are involved in saving the child who God later called to deliver God's people from Egypt. Two named midwives, Moses' mother, 
his sister, who goes on to play a significant role in leadership, together with her brothers Moses and Aaron, and the Egyptian princess. On the surface of things, the Hebrew women had little in common with the Egyptian princess. The Hebrew midwives and the baby's mother and sister were oppressed Hebrews, enslaved by the genocidal Pharaoh, whose daughter was a privileged royal woman. But together, these five women planned and risked their lives to bring life when the Pharaoh had ordered death. This story is one of the many stories in scripture about women that are placed at the beginning of God's initiation of a new work with his people. We see what is called fronting by narrative critics. We see this fronting not only in the Exodus story, but in the story of the conquest, where the first Gentile convert, Rahab, confessed, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and terror of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land melted away before you. We see the fronting of the stories of women in the transition to monarchy with the story of Ruth, whose descendant was King David, and in the story of Hannah, whose son Samuel had a critical role in the transition to monarchy. And even later, we see the fronting of a story about women in the book of Esther, where Esther saved God's, saves God's people from genocide. And of course, in the New Testament, we see the fronting of stories of women in the Annunciation, birth and death of Jesus. The fronting of stories of women in larger narratives where women's lives are not featured makes feminists like Cheryl Exum angry. Exum claims that women in the Exodus story are just used to produce the deliverer and then drop off the page. I don't see it this way at all. The women featured in the birth story of Moses, like those featured in many other narratives, remind us that women have an essential role to play in the story of salvation. They remind us that women, as well as men, are integral to the story of God, even though their roles in the story are not always featured in scripture. The opening chapter of Exodus does not only raise issues about gender. The story also gives witness to the ways God uses faithful women and men, insiders and outsiders, marginalized and enslaved, as part of his bigger plan of salvation. The Hebrew midwives lied and refused to obey the Pharaoh because they knew killing babies was wrong. Although Moses' parents recognized that he was a beautiful child, they did not know that God, what God had in store for his life as deliverer and lawgiver and friend of God. Yet, Moses' family risked all because they knew that life is precious and worth risking all to save. God also used an Egyptian princess as part of the plan to save Moses, a plan whose benefits included, as the book of Acts suggests, Moses being educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. As we walk through the book of Exodus this term, we will watch the gradual unfolding of God's plan to redeem his people from slavery in Egypt, a plan that included the actions of seemingly insignificant midwives, 
and courageous family members who lived their lives in faithful obedience to the God of Israel, whom they knew and trusted brought life and deliverance. Today, as we go forth from here, may we remember that the same Lord God who delivered his people from oppression is the same God who sent his son Jesus, who fulfills what was promised and was awaited for by Israel, and who accomplished that decisive act of deliverance and salvation once for all. Thanks be to God.